This podcast series is supported by members at Patreon. If you want to support this podcast series, head to patreon.com forward slash Cascadian Beer. Hey, future Aaron here. Uh, sadly, since I originally released this episode, this brewery is actually no longer operational. But I do hope you enjoy the episode. Cheers. Beer is a social beverage that is meant to be enjoyed with friends and family at your local commons. Welcome to the Cascadian Beer Podcast. My name's Aaron and I'm a Cascadian. I have a background in radio and television broadcasting. I'm a music producer and have a passion for beer. I don't consider myself to be an expert in beer by any means, but I do enjoy and respect the craft and the passion of these brewmasters. I want to learn from these pioneers on what sets them apart from the rest and why they choose to call Cascadia their home. Cascadia is a bioregion in the Pacific Northwest on the North American continent. It is made up of the U.S. states of Washington and Oregon, as well as the Canadian province of British Columbia. In this podcast series, I'll be profiling the unique breweries of Cascadia, a region that has a strong presence on the international beer scene. In this episode, I've traveled to Portland, Oregon. On the east side of the Willamette River, which cuts through the city, you'll find yourself in a neighborhood called Buckman, which is home to a number of coffee roasters, restaurants, and of course, breweries. One of these being the Commons Brewery. It's an open plan space where you can gather around and enjoy their beer. My name is Michael Wright, and I'm the uh, the founder of the Commons Brewery. And how long has the Commons been open? Under the Commons moniker, it's about five years. There was a short stint in my garage um, as a licensed brewery as Becha Brewery. Becha is a Flemish word for little bit. So I was doing one barrel batches in the garage for about a year. And then you outgrew the garage. Outgrew the garage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So have you always been at the site then since the induction of Commons? No, the site that you're at now, we've been here for about two years. Uh, So we started operating both the brewery and the tasting room in this location in March of 2015. Cool. And how did beer find you? Yeah, uh, I actually started homebrewing via my stepbrother, uh, Sean Carlton. He and his wife actually have a winery out on, on the Oregon coast and was literally just hooked like immediately. Uh, I think a week later, I was at home with just enough equipment on the stovetop to do my first homebrew batch, uh, which was pretty terrible, frankly. It was a memorable day, evening. But anyway, uh, I just kept moving forward from there and homebrewed for seven or eight years before I got licensed in the garage. And what was the beer that kicked off that homebrew obsession? Gosh, it was uh, a little beer that we call Meekenbach. So it was a Rodenbach-inspired beer. Mm-hmm. My daughter's name is Mika, hence that name. Uh, but yeah, it was a Rodenbach-inspired beer that we made that day. I actually just had a bottle of it like maybe a, a year ago. Uh, so not just. Um, it had passed its prime. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> not surprisingly. <laughs> so what does the commons focus on then? Commons focuses on, uh, at least historically for the past five years, we have focused on Belgian, French, and German-inspired beers, mostly farmhouse, but we, you know, we do a handful of German beers. I have an English mild on right now, stout. 
really the one thing that we've avoided so far uh, is IPA. Right. And plenty of those around. So. There are plenty in the Portland metro area, West Coast, nationally, and lots of our friends, brothers and sisters are doing a phenomenal job. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not that we don't like IPA. We actually love it. Most of us consume it. But just so far, we haven't done that. It's your unique approach, right? Right. We will That's not right. have an IPA here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not quite that firm, but yeah. <laughs> so where does the name come from then? The name was meant to reinforce this notion of um, gathering around beer, which is a tagline. Um, that we use. And it's nothing new conceptually. It's just about beer being this really social beverage and the commons is a physical place known by many people around the country and around the world as a place to gather. And so it was really just meant to reinforce that notion of a social aspect of beer. And by gathering, I mean, this is a very beautiful space. It's an entire open plan warehouse, right? Yes, that's right. Yep. Just a big old kind of cool looking building that we just barely cleaned up. <laughs> right. What's uh, what's the size of the brew house over there? We have a uh, a 15 barrel JV Northwest three vessel brew house. And there's a beautiful uh, big barrel here too. Yeah, we've got uh, one fooder uh, to our name, um, which is our Flemish Kiss production, Brett aged pale ale. So when you opened here, how long did it take the local community to start coming in and kind of get that acceptance into the local yeah, community. Yeah, it's interesting when we moved here. I mean, we already had a bit of a following locally, but... Like from your garage days? Uh, no, sorry. From so, so there was the garage for about a year, and then uh, 2011, and we opened up at a location maybe just a half mile from where you and I are sitting right now, and spent about three and a half, four years there. I know this math isn't totally adding up right now, but... It is early in the morning. It the is co- early in the morning, the yeah. coffee hasn't kicked in. Right, yeah. Uh, so we spent a few years over there. It was off the beaten path, no signage. So, you know, we had limited tasting room hours over there and, and got a little bit of a following, but it was really a destination. Like you had to make a conscious decision to go there. You didn't stumble on it. So we did bring a few patrons from that location here, but it's been really surprising to us how many new people have discovered us since this location what you can't see on the radio is that we are on a corner, a pretty pretty well-traveled mm-hmm. corner. So it's a much more high-profile location. And I took the 15 bus from downtown right to here. Exactly. So, yeah. Yep, that's right. And what you also can't see on the radio is that there are a number, like literally hundreds of apartments being built around yes. us right now. Because I, I was down at Cascade Brewing, which is your neighbor, yes. last night. And there's yep. a big, two big apartment buildings going. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Within three blocks, we've got about five or 600 apartments. So what, that's fantastic for us, right? I mean, that's people who are literally going to be baked into the neighborhood mm-hmm. uh, and can just cross the street and come visit us. We love that. Mm. And I mentioned Cascade. Um, there's several other breweries in, in the area. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How do you find that? Is that, is that a lot of competition or is it just I mean, kind of creates a new environment? It, in the city? Both, both of those things, right? So the neighborhood, to some extent, becomes a destination, um, not only for beer, but coffee, booze. There's a lot of distilleries in the neighborhood as well. Mm -hmm. And there's also some urban wineries and food. So the neighborhood, uh, even in the short two years that we've been in the neighborhood, is really becoming a destination neighborhood. I mean, I guess with that said, there's still on any given day, evening, afternoon, there's only a certain number of people that are visiting the neighborhood. And so they're going to, uh, you know, disperse across those multiple options Ideally, actually, they visit us, they visit Cascade, they visit Burnside. You know, there are multiple options, Hair of the Dog. So all of those breweries that I just mentioned are within walking distance 
Uh, I actually don't know this. I want to study this, but I think that this neighborhood must be one of the most um, brewery densely populated neighborhoods in the United States. Right. Um, I think there's probably a neighborhood in, in Denver that's competitive in that respect, but there are many breweries within a very short distance of here. And so then what does that do for you guys uh, in terms of your brewing process? And like, you always have to be on top of your game now, right? Well, for sure. I mean, I think nationally you need to be on top of your game. And, you know, we have 5,000 breweries in America now and counting. Mm-hmm. Um, My database is 855 here in the Pacific Northwest. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> we've got nearly a hundred in the Portland metro area yeah. and 200 plus in, in Oregon. Um, for a pretty small population, actually. So, I, I mean, I think just getting back to that, that notion, I think you must make good beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might exist for a while making mediocre beer in an underserved neighborhood or something, but um, it won't be long before another brewery opens up right next door to you. And if they're killing it, then you better up your game. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I guess we consider that a um, just sort of a, foundational element you must make good beer right yeah and you mentioned nationally do you only serve your beer here and on draft elsewhere or do you actually bottle it and send it elsewhere the tasting room that we're sitting in is i don't know by volume maybe 25 percent of our business maybe 25 or 30 percent the rest of it the vast majority is sold right here in the portland metro area and is not spread very far and then small amounts make it up to north of us here, like Seattle, um, actually a little bit in British Columbia, mm-hmm. and then a little bit down into California. And when I say a little bit, I'm talking like quarterly, maybe two pallets for the entire state of California. So it's like a couple of, you know, little sprinkles. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the biggest challenge in order to get this whole operation up and running? Yeah, you know, um, so I started very small as, I, as we've already kind of covered in the garage. So that was little to no risk, right? I mean, I already owned the garage. I had a job, had a house. So I, I really didn't feel like I could just leave all of that behind and cross my fingers and hope that it all worked out. So I started very low risk by doing it in the garage. The next step, I purchased the absolute minimum necessary equipment. Uh, so it was extremely manual, but a very limited, uh, kind of rudimentary tool set. So I've just slowly grown this thing along the way. I mean, still every penny that we make goes right back into the business Mm -hmm. to get another tool or what, what have you. But the place that you and I are sitting in now, that was a big transition for us in that this required traditional financing. You know, so we bought the building, we bought a new brew house, built it out. So this was a big step this time. It had been all self-funded prior to that. And again, just by going very slowly and absolute minimum necessary equipment and just kind of pouring every penny back into it. And do you think you'd be able to survive if you were outside of Portland, create the same kind of kind of thing elsewhere in Oregon or even Washington? You know, starting out as a farmhouse focused brewery in a small town probably not. And outside of Portland five years ago, you know, in 2010, 2011, could you have started a farmhouse focused brewery outside of an urban area? I I don't know. I mean, I know that a handful of people have done it, but it would be tough. Um, If I had really wanted to do it in a smaller neighborhood or something back then, I I probably would have done other beer styles, I guess, if you will. But we had a relatively mature market, even in 2010 and 11 here. So... 
uh, you know, the, the path had already been laid for us to be able to be a niche brewery like that. All right. And who's inspiring you locally at the moment with their beer? Wow. Um, I mean, a number of breweries were, were uh, and, you know, in our kind of ballpark upright is amazing. Alex and his crew over there make really phenomenal beer. It's, it's inspiring all the time. You know, we're certainly inspired by our neighbors like Cascade just down the street here. Freem out of Hood River right now continues to just kill it on pretty much every front. It's that execution that I'm super impressed by. I mean, I, I'm not dismissing any of the flavors that they're making. They're all phenomenal, I think, is what I'm trying to say. We continue to enjoy beers from our good friends, Breakside. Um, they continue to kill it over there as they're growing really rapidly, and that's amazing to see. They're keeping that quality really high as they grow like that. You know, there's some smaller ones like Occidental and Heater Allen that are little treats for us as well. Um, gosh, the list is long. <laughs> <laughs> now, I see you got a kitchen here, so you're not one of those typical breweries with a food truck parked outside and all that. What's your favorite thing out of your kitchen to pair with one of your beers here? Oh, gosh. Um, so we have, uh, I'm going to call them rotating to use a beer term, but rotating charcuterie and cheese plates. Sometimes they're together. Sometimes you can get them uh, individually, like a charcuterie board or a cheese board. That's something that we absolutely love. Um, so to sit down with a, a cheese board with maybe four or five different cheeses on it and um, a taster tray here is a pretty, pretty awesome experience. If anybody was wanting to go down this path themselves, what advice would you give them? Goodness, uh, you better want it really bad. And that probably goes for any small business. But this is, a, this is an interesting time in the craft brewing industry, I think worldwide, but certainly nationally in America. You know, there's a new brewery opening every day. There's lots of big money coming in. There's lots of really talented brewers who have been successful at other breweries, uh, you know, leaving, departing and starting their own projects. So they're coming in with, you know, uh, various levels of rock star status and skill and, and money. So, you know, if you're coming in like I did as a home brewer, essentially, you're going to have to work really hard and that's OK. But just be prepared for that, I think. You know, certainly one lesson, again, I think, and again, this is, applies to any business you're going to start, but certainly in a capital intensive business like a brewery, make sure you have some cash flow to ride out uh, a while because mm-hmm. um, not every month is going to be gangbusters. Right. For somebody coming to the Commons Brewery for the first time, what would you like their experience to be and what they leave with um, at the end of their visit? Mm. Yeah, good question. I, I think in some respects, I would hope that what they walked away with was a really amazing experience with their friend, family, neighbor, whoever it was, um, and that the beer was just a a subtle enjoyment. You know, what I, I don't need the beer to be the main thing that they walk away with as their memory. Uh, I'm just hoping that they had a really enjoyable time and that the beer was just one component of that. Now, the flip side of that is if the beer is bad, they're going to remember that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we don't want that. No. Uh, and I'm not going to be mad either if they walk away with a really awesome experience and, and, uh, of the beer and that's all they can think about. That's great. But, you know, the whole notion of gather around beer or the social aspect is that it's just one component in that experience. And you know, I guess the other thing is that, as you noted, we have a very open layout here. So there's no walls between the, the tasting room and the brewery. And so you're literally right next to the making of the beer. And that's kind of neat. You know, I mean, hopefully people enjoy that as well. Mm-hmm. Got a final tough question for yeah. you. 
what's the story that you want to portray with your beer? I think number one is that it's approachable, regardless of the fact of, that it's a, you know, I'm going to air quote this, uh, quote unquote, Belgian beer um, or an English mild or what, whatever. We want it to be approachable and flavorful. And I know that seems really vague, but it's, it's, uh, I mean, we're really serious about balanced beers and flavor and subtlety so that none of these things are going to hit you over the head. Even the, you know, annual rarely made 10% bourbon barrel aged, um, Belgian dark strong that we make drinks like it's a 6% beer. I mean, we just want really approachable and balanced beers, despite the fact that there's a little bit of mystique with this, you know, European inspired Belgian, French, German stuff, like just walk up to it, drink it, enjoy it and carry on. Right. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much to Mike, especially since it was first thing in the morning during my trip to Portland that he agreed to chat with me. And there was also a snowstorm at the time. So thanks again, Mike. You really need to go and check out the comments. The Flemish Kiss, I highly recommend. That was very delicious. Thanks, Mike. If uh, you enjoyed this podcast series, please subscribe. Feel free to share as well. If you would like to support this independently produced podcast series, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Cascadian Beer. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Cascadian Beer. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. We're everywhere you can listen to podcasts. I'm 13 episodes in, and I'm glad I finally got Oregon on the map. So thanks. Going to have lots more episodes coming soon from Portland, Oregon. But thanks so much for listening. For more information and to follow this podcast series, head to cascadian.beer. Until next time, remember, support your local.